So hello, I am Sydney Canty with 21 News WFMJ, and I will be closing out our Black History Month podcast on this last week of February with a segment called African Americans and Mental Health. Joining me is the lovely counselor for mental health issues in the African American culture and owner of Gloris A. Griffin Counseling Services, Mrs. Gloris Griffin herself. How are you today, Gloris? I am blessed. How are you? I'm wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much for asking. So I'm just going to get right into it. We know that African-Americans can go through traumatic experiences that change them and sometimes even make them schizophrenic or experience some kind of decline in their mental health. Um, As a mental health counselor, what kind of things have you seen in the Black community, especially since the start of the pandemic? A lot of depression and anxiety. A lot of people have been experiencing that. On top of all of the stuff that's going on in the politics, a lot of things are coming up. So people are afraid. And a lot of them are afraid to seek help because of the stigma. So you see people suffering in silence because of it. They don't know where to go or who to turn to or who to trust. Oh, okay. That That's actually really concerning. And you know what? I'm afraid to seek help because of the stigma. I have actually heard of that myself. Can you explain a little bit more on what that stigma is? Sometimes people say, oh, I don't want to get help because I'll be considered crazy. Or if I get my children help, they won't be able to go into the military or people will look at them different. Or if they get on medication, that means something wrong with them. You know, what people have to understand is that mental health is no different than medical illness. It's like, I'm a diabetic. No one's going to tell me, don't take your insulin. You know what I mean? So that's the same thing with mental health. If it's something wrong and you can do something to adjust it to make your quality of life better, then you do it. You know, but people are afraid of it because they don't want to be judged because of it. They think, oh, I won't be able to get certain jobs or um, people will look at me differently. And it affects them. So they don't seek help. Wow, that's actually a lot of people my age have actually said that before. Like, I feel like I'm losing my mind, but I'm definitely not about to go to no therapist because then that makes it real. Like, they've actually said that to me. And I'm like, well, what do you mean it makes it real? Well, because if I go to get the help, I'm in there seeking the help and I am I need a therapist. I mean, there's actually something wrong with me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't I don't agree with that. But, you know, people are are going to be who they are. Um, so what do you usually do to help people who are dealing with issues like that? One thing that I try to let them know that this is a safe, safe space. We can talk about whatever you want to talk about. You know, there's no judgment. I'm just here to listen and try to help you sort through it. I don't know it all. I believe in research. You know, um, a lot of times people just need somebody to normalize what they are feeling. Normalize the, the fear of when a cop pull behind you. And you ain't done nothing wrong. You know what I mean? They're not even pulling you over, but you, you automatically it's this fear that comes over you. And to normalize that and to use a lot of self-talk or going in even for a job interview or to take a test, test anxiety, all of those things are real things. And when you learn the coping skills to be able to manage them, it makes your quality of life so much better. And just understanding that um, people just say, oh, people tell me I'm bipolar. People tell people that all the time, no, you're not. You're just going through something. And even if you are, so what? We'll learn how to manage it. It's just who you are. We are all individuals and we learn and we perceive in different ways. And as long as we can find ways to make your quality of life better, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. I completely agree. Yes. Um, What are some statistics, if you have any, for mental health crises in African-American men and women um, before the pandemic and, and then after? 
Well, according to the, the Psychiatric Times, even before COVID-19, Blacks were 20% more likely to experience mental health issues, but, but were less likely than their white peers to use mental health services such as therapy, counseling, and psychiatric care. 69% of Black adults with mental illness and 42% of Black adults with serious mental illness did not receive treatment in 2018. Similarly, 88% of Black adults with substance use disorders reported in 2018, they didn't even seek help for that. Substance use has increased during the pandemic and pre-existing trends such as increasing Drug use has induced this death. So you got a lot of people who are unable to leave their homes to deal with the stress. They're not seeking help. So they're turning to drugs and alcohol to comfort them. The isolation is hard. You're feeling lonely. So they pull out a bottle, stuff like that. You know, um, a lot of the, the coping skills they had, going for walks, exercising and stuff. A lot of people aren't going to the gyms and stuff for fear of catching COVID. And then when you think about even in the workforce. As a people, Blacks make up the most essential workforce, including 30% of bus drivers, 20% of food service workers. And these are the jobs where people are catching COVID the most because they're actively acting with the public. Us as mental health providers, medical providers, we're in the midst, you know, and a lot of us are Black. So we're having a lot of stress, fear, anxiety, feelings of despair, even PTSD symptoms are flaring up because people are so confined and their, their minds are just going, they're thinking. They got all these racing thoughts and stuff. And if you're not learning any coping skills to deal with this or seeing anyone to express what you're feeling, then you, you increase the risk of suffering even more. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So that, so when you were given those statistics and you were saying that people were not even seeking help, is that, is that what they're doing then when they're not seeking the help, they're just allowing it, the, the problem to grow and, mm -hmm. and, and become worse. Do yes. you think that those problems can also trickle down to, you know, their children or other people that they are connected to in some way? Absolutely. When you think about your children, we can tell our children anything, but you mimic what you see. You know, um, I always use the adage of a sad child. Oh, that's just a sad child. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Never getting that person help. And even as an adult, if you are always crying and down. Your children are watching this and they begin to think that this is normal behavior. You know, um, you're upset about something, you go have a drink, you taking pills, you smoking marijuana. Our children begin to believe that this is normal behavior. This is what you do when you're not happy. Instead of having good coping skills to deal with life pressures. When you're even thinking about like this, this, Pandemic, and I was thinking about it. And I did a little bit of research on it. According according to studies published by the Journal of Death and Dying, African Americans are more likely to experience prolonged grief. However, they are less likely to seek treatment due to cultural stigma and systematic barriers to care. With all the restrictions, with funeral gatherings has made it very difficult for Blacks to grieve because a lot of times we get together and we go and we go to the, to the site and then we go to the homes and we have dinner and we talk about that person and we share all these things about this person to lift our spirits and to grieve together. Unfortunately, right now with COVID, we cannot do those things. Those are things as part of our culture that we are unable to do. So you have a lot of older people who are dying and their friends around them is dying and they have no one to talk to about this. 
They have no one to comfort them through this. Mm -hmm. So it makes it really hard when you can't talk about the things that you need to talk about. Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And so when those children, when you said they're watching, you know, what their parents Mm -hmm. are doing and they're taking those, those ways of life, when they take what they think is normal behavior and, and they kind of incorporate that into their own lives as they, as they Mm -hmm. become adults, then are, are they taking, you know, those traits and, and actually thinking like, okay, this is, I, this is what I saw. This is what I think life is supposed to be. And now I'm this, I mean, for lack of a better word, toxic adult who is, you know, out here dealing with the exact same issues that my parents dealt with, that their parents dealt with, because none of us ever got any help because, you know, we all thought it was normal. Are you seeing that? Absolutely. Every single day. So many of my clients come in. And one thing I talk about and my slogan is breaking cycles, breaking circles of despair, one client at a time. So many of my clients come in and say, my parents did it this way. Their parents did it this way. Their parents did it this way. And one thing we want to do is stop this cycle that's going on in our lives. Our children mimic what they see. If, if, if they're told all their life, they're not going to be nothing. And then they teach, they tell them that they're not going to be nothing or whatever it may be, whatever circles in your family that you're passing on, they just continue. So if we, we, we express to our children, it's nothing wrong with seeking medical help. It's nothing wrong with getting mental health help. It's nothing wrong with calling the police if something is wrong. We have to teach our children this because if we do not teach them this, then they're going to continue to not do it. And it's going to continue. To imagine um, young mothers who don't know how to be a mother because their mother never knew how to be a mother. To seek help to learn how to, to learn good parenting skills, to learn that what they're doing with their children is right. To learn that it's okay that your kids don't like you. That means you're probably doing something you're supposed to be doing. <laughs> to hear someone say that to them, you know, and for them to feel normalized and for them to feel okay. Oh, it's powerful. It's powerful because it lifts your spirit to empower someone. To tell them, hey, girl, you want you want your own business? You can do this. And to sit down with them and talk to them and to inspire them. And then for them to inspire their children and for their children to inspire their children. That is powerful. That is how we break these circles of despair in our community. Mm-hmm. Well, where else do you think these issues come from? Like, it, it could really be a number of things, right? Yes. There's an ACT study, and it, it talks about the different Um, types of trauma that people have been through. A lot of time when people think about trauma, they think about war or getting shot or something like that. No, you can take a child who was raised in a home where they weren't fed right. They weren't clothed right. They didn't get physical and emotional attention. That's where it begins. And unfortunately, because our parents have to work, they, they can't get the kids all the time that they need. You know, and unfortunately, as a child, you don't understand it. You see um, little Susie's mother can spend all this time and go to all the games and all this other kind of stuff, you know, but why can't my parents? And then you start to feel like I'm different. You know what I mean? It, it, it starts simply that small. A lot of times I'm a solution focused therapist a lot. I stay in the here and the now, but sometimes we have to go back a little bit and we'll talk about where did these feelings begin? And we'll find it and we'll process it and then we'll move forward. And that's how you begin to make change. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. So do you think that there's any particular group in the black community that is more affected than another? So like a lot of times on, you know, I'm young, you know, I get on social media (laughs) and I will see (laughs) things on Twitter where, uh, you know, people will be saying, uh, you know, people will say, oh yeah, I told my mom that this is what was wrong with me. And I was trying to 
see if I could seek out therapy. And she said to me that you don't need therapy. You you need to just pray. You know, black people don't do therapy. But, you know, and that's and I, I couldn't believe that that was a thing. And there were so yeah. many people under that post that were like, yeah, you know, my parents are like that, too. Black families are just like that. And yeah. I was like, well, I had no idea. Like, whoa. Oh, yeah. So so like, do you think young black men are, are more affected or adults like our mental health issues in our community more prevalent in men than women or vice versa? Is it is it just scattered? Like what what is going I- on? I think it's just a mixture. I think that men believe that men are not supposed to cry. And I believe the crying can cleanse your soul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, they men think that they are supposed to be this this stronghold, you know, that they're supposed to be emotional. They're supposed to be strong. They're not supposed to be weak. And what makes you strong is realizing where you're weak, you know, and seeking help. But a lot of men, they don't want to talk about their problems. People talk, you didn't talk about your problems. Go talk to the pastor. Pray on it. You'll put your business in the streets. You know, and coming to counseling is not putting your business in the streets. You know what I mean? Um, I think a lot of it comes from even when you think about it, when you tell somebody something and then they get mad at you and they go tell everybody else. You know, and then they had that fear that that doesn't happen in counseling. Or another big one is as a counselor, we are licensed reporters. I always tell my clients what me and you talk about is between me and you, unless you tell me you're going to hurt yourself somebody else, the elderly, or your children. I'm straight up honest with you because I have to report those things. So a lot of times people are fearful to come in here and talk to us like, oh, you're going to call the police on me. You know, and in some cases, I, I'm honest to tell you, I, I'm going to tell you while we sitting here, I'm going to have to call because you're abusing your kids. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always come to that in the beginning. Let's work through this. Let's get you some parenting classes. You can't do this. Let's talk about how we can make this better. We don't want to take people's children from it. We want to teach them how to be better parents. We want to teach them patience and control. So that's that's some of the people who are afraid to, to come to therapy. And a lot of times they feel like their therapist doesn't understand them. Their, their culture is different. They, they'll they say something to them and they just don't get it. And that's another thing that hinders us. But, in, but like I said, my, I know in my generation, I'm a lot older than you. Um, that was one of the things you just didn't go nowhere telling nobody your business. That's just, you just didn't do that. And it was because of a lot of stigma. Mm-hmm. So how do you go about finding a therapist? First, how do you know when you need one? And then how do you go about finding one that will work for you? You know, everybody's different. Everybody's, you know, therapy style is different. And mm-hmm. some people are going to connect with others, you know, better than, than, than others. So right. how do you go about finding the right therapist for you? Well, it's just like, I always tell you going on a job interview, but you're but you're the one that's doing the hiring. You talk to that therapist, and if you don't like that therapist, then you don't have to stay with that therapist. You know, find somebody, read their bios, talk to them. You know, um, one thing I tell people is I don't give advice. I give guidance, but I don't give advice. I'm gonna give you some advice. And what if it's the wrong advice? My job is to help you gain insight and to figure out how to do things on your own. Because you ain't calling me three o'clock in the morning telling my Miss Glow, what am I supposed to do? Uh-uh, it ain't happening, right? I wouldn't be a good therapist. Right? <laughs> so it's my job to teach you how to solve your own problems. I do a lot of brainstorming and problem solving. You have to meet that therapist. And if you feel comfortable with that therapist, then you know, okay, maybe I can open up. No therapist should expect for you to come in and spill your guts all at once. You know what I mean? You got to get to know that person. You got to learn to trust them. And it's about building that rapport with them. You know, and one thing that having, I I know me personally, I believe in client-centered therapy. 
We're going to work on what you want to work on. I'm going to give you homework. I'm going to make you work on you because what I do with somebody in a 53-minute session is not going to change their life if they don't apply what we've done in therapy outside, you know, and, and, and I'm, I'm big on that. So having a therapist that holds you accountable is important if you want to change, if you want to grow. How you know if you need therapy? Everybody needs therapy. That's the way I look at it. We all need somebody to talk to. We all need somebody to help problem solve with. The best therapist has a therapist. And that's the truth, you know, because we all go through things and we're trying to figure them out in our mind. So if you find yourself um, feeling sadness, anger, worry, numbness, frustration, um, changes in your appetite, low energy, your mind is racing all the time. You want to drink more than normal. You know, you're somebody who was a social drinker every once in a while and you feel like every night you need a beer. OK, something's wrong. Mm. You know, um, headaches, body pains, stomach and bowel, um, bowel problems, skin rashes, um, a lot of health problems. Those are signals that something could be going on in your mental health. And it's not always something that needs a pill. Sometimes it just needs to learn coping skills that you already have inside you. that We just got to pull back out of you to cope with everyday life. I never ever thought of it like that we all need therapy I've never <laughs> thought of it like that I really happened but you know when you sit and you think about it yeah you know you do need people that you can talk to that you can trust that you can maybe mm-hmm. just spill everything then or, or help work through some things we all do need that and I I never really thought about it like that I never did honestly mm-hmm. you are helping me to see that therapy is something different than I thought that it was honestly mm-hmm. it's I mean that's wow <laughs> so yeah um, <laughs> I did do some research. Um, I did some research and I found that post-traumatic stress disorder in African-Americans is actually not just from wars, but it can also be from a number of things. Have you seen mm-hmm. that as well? Every single day. That's why I say um, trauma is what you perceive. Mm-hmm. What one person perceives traumatic, another person may not. It can simply be a car accident. It can be a slip and fall, to be truthfully honest. Anything that's traumatic to you that's causing bad memories, you're having flashbacks, um, it makes you afraid. For instance, I had a client before who was shot at before. And every time he hears a backfire of a gun, he freezes. He goes into fight and flight stance. You know what I mean? Um, He's afraid to go certain places because the traumatic events of that comes back up. He wasn't even doing anything to get in trouble. He was walking down the street and there was a drive-by shooting. Had nothing to do with him. But that was so traumatic to him that it's just certain places he can't go. And it, it, it just brings it all back up. So what we do is help him process it so that he won't have that anymore. In our community, even um, seeing your parents be ripped out of your home is traumatic to a child. It can cause those symptoms to where that child isn't sleeping correctly. They're, they're, they keep seeing this event over and over again, and it's causing them anguish in their bodies. That's trauma. Wow. So trauma I, is different in everybody. I never I never realized that. I actually, now that you're saying that, I had a friend who uh, got into many, many accidents when she first was um, you know, able to start driving. And mm-hmm. she every time I would be in the car with her, and every time she heard somebody honk at her, immediately she would get terrified and just freeze because she mm-hmm. remembers that before every accident she heard a honk. Yeah. So now when somebody honks at her a lot, she gets so scared because she thinks mm-hmm. she's about to get into an accident. And I yep. didn't realize that's a trauma thing. 
Yes, it is. It, it automatically turns it on for. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, wow. you have like I had a client before who could not drive um, around the bend, the sphere, and we would talk it through, you know, to teach her um, coping skills to be able to talk it through, to talk about the road and the people who created the road. And she would go through this somewhat of a ritual that we would go through when she would be driving so that she could make this bend in the road. And after she kept doing it and practicing it, she was able to come through that trauma. You know, it's it's different for everybody. Everybody's level of trauma is different. But trauma is trauma. Something that affects you, affects you. You know what I mean? And learning coping skills to deal with it is possible. It is. Mm-hmm. To go back to the, the isolation that we were talking about with the pandemic mm-hmm. and everything, um, you know, I feel like, I mean, the, we really need to get this under control with the whole mental health and African-American thing because people were and are doing some crazy things while in isolation, you know, due to, to that pandemic. And like, what about our elderly elderly people um, who are terrified or maybe terrified to have their families come and visit them out of fear of getting sick? Um, you know, I mean, luckily there's a vaccine now, but before that, there was a lot of isolation and a whole lot of fear. What, what do you think about that? Were, were you seeing that in elderly people or really just in a lot of people in our community? Well, a lot of the elderly just weren't coming out. I, my dad is in his 70s. I love my dad to death, you know, but I would do a couple of times. I just went and stood outside of his door because he was so afraid of catching it. You know, he has um, pre-existing health conditions, him and his wife, you know, and it's hard and trying to talk to them on the phone and just keep connected with them. A lot of things that they wanted to do, they weren't unable, they were unable to do. He loves to travel and stuff. So you're dealing with a lot of elderly. So the good thing was that we had telehealth. And so we were able to um, see him on the screens and talk to him on the phone and keep him going, trying to encourage him. But there, there's not much we can do because we can't go around them until the virus is brought down. So that they're just so vulnerable right now, you know, so trying to keep in touch with them on the phone and let them know that you love them and you're thinking about them, you know, calling them very often just to say, hey, you know what I mean? It, it makes a difference because they are so isolated. And they're alone. And then once again, that's when the uptake of alcohol becomes more. I mean, nowadays you can order, you, you order from any restaurant, they'll bring alcohol to your house now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we, we just had to be, be good to our elderly, you know, check on them, your neighbors, check on them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what do you suggest the black community do to rid themselves of some of these problems, like uh, I know you're talking about, you know, coping mechanisms and, and talking to people. What about the people who just don't want to go to therapy or, or those who can't afford it? You know, how yeah. how can we get past this um, in, in ways that that everyone can do? You know, with even, you know, where I just said with the people who can't afford therapy or just won't go. Well, what's a way that everybody or something that everyone can do to get past these mental health issues and in, in the black community? There are some um, self-help groups out there. You know, one thing I could say is that hanging around negative people brings negativity. If you're talking to negative Ned, then you're going to become negative Nancy. You know, and it's the truth. Don't watch so much news and stuff like that to overwhelm you. A lot of my clients are telling you, you got 15 minutes. That's it for today. No more news for you because now you got all these thoughts in your mind and you're overwhelmed. Surround yourself by positive people. The one good thing is, and I've been doing a lot of research for my clients, is find your hobbies. 
there is so many free, um, like one of my clients, she's, she's in the sewing, but don't know how to sew. We was able to find her a sewing class that was free online where she could learn and watch other people on the sewing machines and they would talk to each other and it was free. She was communicate, communicate with people who were positive and she was learning a hobby. You know, it, it's on you. Read positive books. Watch a good comedy. You know what I mean? I mean, humor, I'm telling you, I, I, me and humor, you know, but it, 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 it you got to find something, find positive people to be around. That is so important. Laugh at yourself because you ain't perfect. You ain't going to be perfect. I laugh myself all the time. You know what I mean? <laughs> just, just looking at the world like that, you know, there is some um, help, self-help groups out there. Like I'm starting one. It's a self-esteem group. And my agency is new and I'm trying to do it a little bit different. So a lot of the things I'm going to do, I can't get paid for them, but that's not the point. The point is to build people up. And once, as you're building up, build somebody else up. You know what I mean? Encourage each other. Because that'll make you feel good. Mm -hmm. And that'll make them feel good. And we're paying it forward. And you just keep giving and reaching out. Mm -hmm. Exercise is a big thing. Exercise. You know, I even like during this pandemic, out there in the park, just walking, seeing the deer. Stuff like that really does work. Finding something that you enjoy to do. Think back to when you was a kid. What did you love to do? Oh, I used to love to color. Then get on down there and color. I'm trying to tell you, you play Jacks, play Jackson. You know, <laughs> whatever makes you feel good will make your mental health better. You have to want it. Turn the knob on them thoughts. That's what I tell my clients. I'm turning the knob all the time. When something negative pops in your head, turn it to a positive. Do your gratitudes every day. At least I woke up today. You know what I mean? Counter those thoughts. That's how you get through this. Wow. Wow. I even, I, I had to do a little bit of research as well on some mental health um, things that would, you know, help people. I have a few friends who deal with mental health issues. So I try to be there to help mm-hmm. as much as possible. And I found that things as small as just opening up your shades and letting sunlight in yes. helps tremendously. And I, I mean, I, I just think that's amazing. Yeah, it, it really does work. I'm telling you. And I'm I'm super clumsy. And so I use that for an example. And when I trip on I just laugh at myself. I'll be like, girl, you're just a clumsy. You know what I mean? Because I'm not perfect. I'm I'm going, you know, I told you about my husband when I talked to you, but and he didn't force <laughs> me, by the way. Um, <laughs> but that that was something for me. I, I needed self-care. I love to decorate. So I tore a room apart and he had to help me. You know what I mean? But that was something that made me feel good. And when I got finished and I turned around and I looked at how I just re- simply reorganized this room, it made me feel good. And that was good for my mental health. It is so many little tiny things that you can do that can make you feel good that don't cost a penny. And it, and that's what it's about. That, that's all it is. That's all it is. That's all it is. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time today, Gloris. It was such a pleasure talking to you and learning from you today. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we say goodbye to our listeners? Um, No, just keep pushing. Just keep pushing. Believe in yourself. Anything you want to accomplish, you can. If you just keep taking steps forward. Mm -hmm. Well said. Very well said. (laughs) Well, thank you again, Ms. Gloris. Thank you so much.